reading this evening comes from John's Gospel, chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 31 to 47. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have put your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you, not, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing this evening in our series in the Gospel of John. And this is now our third week in John chapter 5. And the second part of John 5 is Jesus' answer to the Jews, to the religious leaders. And he is answering their their murderous rage. They are persecuting him. They are seeking to kill him. And remember the context. Remember the origin, the source of this rage. Jesus, on the Sabbath, saw this man lame by the pool of Bethesda, and he healed him. And when the religious leaders saw him carrying his bed, they, they cried out, It's the Sabbath! It's the Sabbath! It's not lawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath. And then the man said, Well, he, the, the man who healed me, he told me to take up my bed and walk. And they wanted to know, Who is this? Not who is this who healed you, but who is this that told you to take up your bed? Now the man didn't know, but later Jesus found him. And so the man went and told the Jews that it was Jesus. And they went to him. And they asked him about this. And you'll remember our Lord's answer to them. My father has been working until now. And I also am working. And John tells us that the Jews were persecuting him because of what he was doing. And now they were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. And then starting in verse 19, we have Jesus' answer to their accusation that he was making himself equal to God, but also his answer to their murderous opposition and rage, the fact that they were trying to kill him. 
And last week we considered the first part of his answer, verses 19 to 30. And Jesus, in reply, says to them, you're right. God is my own father. I am making myself equal to God. And he reveals to them something of his relationship with the Father. He's one with the Father. He shares in the life of the Father. He shares in the love of the Father. And the Father has given him works to do. He sees the works of his Father. He's doing those works. And he says, greater works he has given me to do. And we considered that last week. The work of giving eternal life. The work of executing judgment. That's what we considered last week. And right in the middle, as Jesus is saying this, you'll remember what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now here, the, the religious leaders, the Jews, they, they haven't heard him. They don't believe in him. They haven't received eternal life. They've remained under judgment. But Jesus' announcement is that whoever hears my voice and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. And you'll remember that John states at the end of his gospel why he's written this gospel. I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have eternal life. Well, the Jews don't believe in him. And as we are reading through the gospel, yes, John wants us to believe in him. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And by believing in him, have eternal life. But John also warns us about unbelief. And unbelief may not be what we think it is. And the warning of unbelief is a warning that we need to hear this evening. Now Jesus says to them, I'm telling you these things that you may be saved. And he tells us these things tonight, that we may be saved. And those who opposed him, they they sent for John. They searched the scriptures. they, they, They set their hope on Moses. They thought they were faithful. They thought they were saved. They didn't believe. And as we come to this text tonight, we need to hear Jesus' warning against unbelief. And he tells us why they didn't believe. How can you believe if you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. That's why they don't believe. Because they receive glory from one another. And so that's the question that our Lord asks us tonight. How can you believe if you are seeking glory, if you are receiving glory from one another? Now, as we approach this text and we consider the second half of Jesus' answer, notice that he begins that uh, by saying, I don't just simply testify to myself. If I did, it wouldn't be true. Now, it's not saying that Jesus isn't saying what I've said isn't true. He is saying, if I was just saying this on my own, then that wouldn't be valid testimony. And we know from God's word, from God's law, there must be at least two witnesses. Well, our Lord gives us four witnesses. Two times two witnesses. And we need to consider those witnesses. It's not as though those who didn't believe didn't have testimony to the truth. They did. But then we need to consider the charge of unbelief. Despite all of these witnesses, they did not believe. And they didn't believe because they didn't know God. They didn't know the Father. They thought they did. And then we need to consider what Jesus reveals to us here about why they didn't believe. And it's a warning to us. 
that we may think we believe, but if we are seeking glory from one another, if we're receiving glory from one another, he asks, how can you believe? And we need to hear that warning. But first of all, the witnesses to the truth. So it's not as though they didn't have testimony to the truth. They don't have that excuse. It wasn't a lack of information. It wasn't a lack of revelation. It wasn't a lack of testimony. Jesus says, it's not just me testifying to myself. But he says, there, there, there is another witness. There's John. That's the first witness. And notice what he says about John. John testified to the truth. And at the beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came to bear witness to the light. He himself was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And then remember when John is standing by the Jordan River and he sees Jesus coming towards him and he says to him, he says to the crowds there, behold, look, see, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to say, this is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's John's testimony. John bore witness. Now, they sent for John. They listened to John. And Jesus says, and you, you rejoiced in his light for a while. But it wasn't just the testimony of John. Jesus then goes on to say, the works that the Father has given me, they too testify. Look at what I'm doing. That is a testimony to what I've just said about who I am. About my work of giving life. About my work of executing judgment. Those things signify who I am. They bear witness. You'll remember that after the first sign that Jesus performed, turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana, John tells us this was the first of his signs, which manifested his glory. These signs reveal who he is. And he's saying to the Jews, the signs bear witness, the works bear witness. They show who I am. But he also says there's a greater witness, greater than John, greater than the works, and that's the Father. The Father himself bears witness to me. Now, I mentioned last week that as we are reading the Gospel of John, it's good for us to reread the Gospel. It's required that we read it and reread it. And I said last week, it, it rewards rereading. Because as we read through the Gospel of John, the glory of the Son is unfolding, it's being unveiled, it's revealed to us. And as we read on, we see more and more. The light shines all the more brightly. And then we can come back and read earlier passages in the light of that future glory of, of the later chapters. And it gives us a richer, a fuller understanding of what we're reading. And as we read on, Jesus will say that the Father will send the Spirit. The Spirit will bear witness about me. So yes, the Father has borne witness about me. And he does that through the Spirit, by the Spirit. So the Jews are resisting the Spirit, the testimony of the Spirit. And then Jesus says the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures. You've set your hope on Moses. You know the Bibles, your, your, your Bibles. You're diligent. You study the Bible. Now, people could say that about some of us. Yeah, I know you. You really study your Bible. You know the Bible. You search the Scriptures. But in each case, whether it was John whether it was the testimony of his works, whether it was the testimony of the Father, whether it was the testimony of the Scriptures. They miss the one to whom all of these testify. Yeah, you sent for John. But John himself was not the light. You rejoiced in his light. He was not the light. 
He came to bear witness to the truth, to me. Yes, you search the scriptures. You think in them you will have eternal life. But the scriptures bear witness to me. They point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And the reason that they don't recognize the one to whom these witnesses testify is because they don't know God. They don't know the Father. The reason they don't recognize the Son, the reason they don't recognize that these witnesses testify to him, and they don't see that, they don't recognize it, they don't know it, because they don't know the Father. They don't know God. Listen to what he says in verses 38 and 39. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. But then he says this. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then he goes on to say in a few verses, And I know that you do not have the love of God in you. Yes, you sent for John. Yes, you searched the scriptures. Yes, you've set your hope in Moses. But you don't know the voice of the Father. You don't know God. The love of God is not in you. His word does not abide in you. You don't believe. Now that is a warning to to us. Because they thought they knew. They thought they were faithful. They thought they, they were diligent students of scripture. They were seeking to keep the law. And they didn't know God. And they didn't love God. Now, Jesus tells them why. And it's a warning to us. He asks them in verse 44, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe if you receive glory from one another? That's why they don't believe. And we need to feel the full weight of what Jesus is saying here because he is saying to us, if you are looking to receive glory from one another, if you're seeking glory from men, how can you believe? Now, the the opposite of that is you need to be seeking the glory that comes from the only God. Now, as we read through Scripture, and some of us are... Uh, see ourselves as good reformed theologians. And so we know that it's all for the glory of God. We may even sign off all of our emails that way, right? Only for God's glory. Yes. But notice that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says we need to seek the glory that comes from the only God. We receive his glory. Yes, we're doing things for his glory. It's all for his glory. Yes, absolutely. But here he's saying we, we need to seek to receive his glory. The glory that comes from him. His approval. His praise. What pleases him? His glory. But our Lord knows how deeply rooted that desire is in our hearts to receive glory. Not from him. Not from the only God. But from one another. And he warns us that kills faith. How can you believe? You receive glory from one another. Now we need to examine our own hearts and consider all of the subtle ways and sometimes not so subtle ways that we receive glory from one another and seek glory from one another. And notice what Jesus says to the Jews. You sent for John. 
You sent for him. Now, we know from John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God, John. And they sent for him. Well, that's good. John was a preacher, a prophet sent from God, and they sent for him. But then notice what it says. And you rejoiced in his light for a while. They rejoiced in his light. They wanted to be in John's light. Hey, there's something happening with John. Out by the Jordan River. Seems to be quite a following. Let's go out there. They rejoiced in his light. They wanted to be in his presence. And here we need to think about all of the subtle ways that we seek to be in the light of others. We send for others. We want to be in their light. And we see some of the glory that surrounds them, and we think, hey, if I'm attached to this person, if, if I'm in their orbit, maybe some of that glory can rub off on me. And so we think of, just think of all the subtle ways that you, uh, if you're connected with someone that's important, all the subtle ways you want to let other people know, like, yeah, I'm in with this guy. You know, hey, I went to this conference. And you know what, afterwards, I went up and I had this conversation with John Piper, and then we had this great talk, and we ended up going out for coffee, and he was really impressed with this that I said, and we love to share those little stories. Just to let, you know, a little bit of name dropping, a little, eh, I'm connected with this ministry. Hey, I go to this church, look at us. But we want, we rejoice in the light that comes from that association. We think somehow that glory is going to rub off on us. Now, what's the remedy to this? And Jesus warns about this, warns us about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. He says, for example, when you're fasting, don't make a big show of it, like walking around feeling, oh, I'm so tired. Yeah, I'm fasting today, you know. No, put, you know, put some oil on your face, you know, look chipper. Or if you're giving alms to the poor, don't blow your trumpet. Hey, look at what I'm doing here. No, let, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He's saying, do those things in secret because your father sees it and you're doing it so that he will see it. He sees it. But then when it comes to prayer, remember he says, when you pray, don't, don't pray out in public so that everybody you know, hears it and is impressed by it. You know, sometimes we're, we're nervous to pray in public. What, you know, what if I say the wrong things? And some of us are pretty happy to get up there and someone will come up after and say, oh, what a beautiful prayer. You know, so eloquent, so wonderful. But Jesus warns us, don't do that. Then you're just praying for a human audience. But he says, go into your room, close the door. And your father who sees you in secret, he sees you in secret. He sees you there. And he knows what you need even before you ask him. But here in particular, that that time of private prayer, as we enter his presence, as we know that he sees us, and think how scripture speaks about this, him seeing us. It's the light of his countenance. We rejoice in his light. And the more we spend time in his light and rejoice in his light, knowing that he sees us there, we won't be drawn to the other people's light, thinking somehow I'll get in on that. Because we spend time with our Heavenly Father. We know that he sees us. We rest in his light. We rejoice in his light. Now sometimes we are eager to receive other people. So he says, you receive glory from one another. We want glory from others. But sometimes we're tempted to chase after certain teachers, certain leaders. Notice what he says in verse 43 here. I have come in my Father's name, 
and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now there is a temptation for us to follow certain teachers, certain leaders, certain pastors or teachers, preachers, who come in their own name. Now they may not do it in in an obvious way. But here our Lord is saying, you, you, if someone comes in his own name, you're with that person. You follow that person. You've rejected me because I've come in the name of my Father. Now he's warning us here about people that come in their own name. And just think about how he's put that. People who come in their own name, that's what they're concerned about. Their own name. They're making a name for themselves. They're building this ministry. They've got however many followers on Twitter. And they've got, you know, they're headlining conferences and all of this. Now, sometimes when people are coming in their own name, you know, they are seeking the approval and, and they're seeking glory from others. And we are tempted to receive such people. And here's why. Because such teachers, such leaders or pastors, they want a following. They want your approval. Which means they're going to flatter you. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. You'll leave, you'll leave thinking like, oh, that was so good. I feel like really good, really affirmed. And sometimes as we are looking to receive glory from others, we, we, we want to follow such a ministry. Now, Jesus came in his Father's name. And when people come in God's name, they, they aren't going to tell you what you want to hear. And they aren't going to flatter you and just affirm you where you are. They will speak the truth to you. Yes, in love, but they will speak the truth to you. They'll admonish you. They'll rebuke you. And so there's a warning here about chasing after people that come in their own name and receiving them. Now think about the current, our current moment right now. There's always subtle ways in which the desire to receive glory from other people will creep in. And our current moment has created such an opportunity for this. And uh, many Christians will find themselves uh, in in two camps. On the one hand, there's some of us who, as we hear about all of the COVID-19 guidelines, all of the restrictions, all of the... Uh, all of the advice, you know, and we're thinking, okay, we've got to wear masks, we're going to keep separated, not going to visit people. Some of us, as we, as we hear all that, we know that we've got neighbors and we've got coworkers and we've got friends and we've got family who have very strong views about this. You know, we need to keep all the rules. And we, we want their approval. We want, we want them to, to approve of what we're doing. So we feel like, yeah, we need to go along with that too. And then we have a sense, yeah, we're all in this together. And I know that our friends and our family, um, they see what we're doing. And I make sure to tell people, hey, uh, I haven't seen anybody in three weeks. And, you know, we, we make sure to let people know that we're keeping all the rules. Now, whatever your convictions are about this, make sure you're not doing it because you want the approval of other people. Now, that's one camp. There's another camp that thinks, oh, this is all ridiculous and it's nonsense and, and uh, so we're going to make sure we're not wearing masks, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. Okay, what... You know, we are seeking to be wise about this and we have convictions about these things. But there's a temptation from the other camp to want to have the approval of, of the folks that, that uh, want to reject all this. So, so our motivation is to get their approval. 
hey, yeah, you know, isn't this crazy? And you send all these links and, and you're just wanting the approval of other people. And there's always, there, there are always opportunities for us to seek glory from other people. And sometimes it's subtle. And sometimes we're put in situations where, where we have a new, a new temptation to receive glory and approval. And the question we should be asking is, what pleases the Lord in this moment? What pleases him in this moment? Are we seeking the glory that comes from the only God in this moment? What pleases him? What pleases the Lord? And then just think generally in, in your day-to-day life. All the ways that we are eager to receive glory from others, eager to receive the approval of other people in our work. I'm not saying you don't want to work hard and, and, and be recognized for that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But sometimes, you know, we are trying to climb the ladder and we, we want recognition and we, uh, our own sense of self-worth comes out of the recognition that we get in our jobs and in our work. And we want that approval. We want glory from others in our work. Or in our family life. There may be a temptation. You know, when it, we want to make sure other people know how great our kids are. You know, they're so smart, and they're so cute, and they're this, and they're that. And we're looking for the approval of others. And, you know, we want to just let people know, maybe in a subtle way, we can work it into a con- uh, conversation. But, um, you know, talk about our, our family life, and how great our family devotions are, and we've got these routines going, and everything's really great. And we want other people to, to see that, and approve of that. We want to receive glory from others. Or even in our own piety, and again, our Lord warns us about this when it comes to fasting. But in our own spiritual disciplines, you know, let, let's say you're on a real roll with your, your Bible reading. It's February now, so, you know, you're keeping up with it. And you've you made a resolution in January, I'm getting up at 5.30 and I'm going to pray for an hour. And you've been doing that and you're encouraged by that. And then you just want to subtly kind of get that into a conversation like, oh, yeah, you know, however you do it. But you want other people to know, hey, look how I'm doing, doing a good job at this. But really, we just, we want the, we want glory from other people. Or just generally with our, you know, whatever our accomplishments are, whatever our talents, whatever our abilities. There's always the temptation. We want glory from others. We want to please others. I mean, you think of uh, social media. I mean, much, social media is just designed to commodify this whole thing. Talk about receiving glory from others. I mean, it's right there. You can see how much glory you're getting. How many retweets? How many likes? Now, the question in all these things is not how do, I, how do I get the approval of others? How am I receiving glory from others? And our Lord warns us, if that's what's motivating you, how can you believe? How can you believe? Instead, our motivation is what pleases the Lord? What pleases him? What does he approve of? Am I seeking his glory? Am I seeking to receive the glory that only he can give? Think of evangelism. Here's another example. This is something the Lord has really been speaking to me this week. I've I've been confronted with this. My guess is that uh, some of us, perhaps many of us, we, we are timid when it comes to evangelism. And uh, we fear it. And as we, as we examine why, why we're reluctant, why the fear, why the timidity, I mean, we may think, well, I'm just not, you know, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not good on my toes, or what if I get a question, I'm not sure to, how to answer it, I don't feel like I'm very eloquent, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a good evangelist, 
And we, feel, we may feel like we're not up to the task. And so that's why we're reluctant. But I think if we're honest, that many of us fear evangelism because we're worried about what other people will think. What's my coworker going to think? What's my neighbor going to think? What's my family member, my friend? What are they going to think? And we're worried that we're, we're going to lose their approval. And we want, we want to receive glory from men. And as you're thinking about evangelism, just remember this. Whenever we declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that gives glory to God. And every time you share the gospel with someone, every time you point someone to Jesus, that glorifies him. He receives the glory. But also think about this. As we read on in the Gospel of John, we read that the Father delights in giving glory to the Son. The Son delights in giving glory to the Father. The Spirit gives glory to the Son. There's this mutual giving and receiving of glory within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit delights to glorify the Son. The Father delights to glorify the Son. When we share the gospel, we are glorifying the Son. That delights the Spirit. That delights the Father. In other words, one of the ways in which we receive glory and seek the glory that comes from the only God is by sharing the gospel. He's pleased. He's pleased by it. Whatever the person thinks, however they respond, the only God is pleased. And we receive glory when we do that. Now, as we consider what our Lord has confronted us with here, the desire to receive glory from others, we recognize this is something that's, that's deeply rooted in all of us. And it's almost the currency of the world. I mean, just think of the whole advertising industry. A lot of that is just about receiving glory from one another. It's deeply rooted. But Scripture again and again calls the people of God to humility. And we will, we will be in a place of humility if we rejoice in the light of the sun. If we, if we look for his glory, if we abide in his glory. But our Lord tonight reminds us that we are called to humility. And I want to close with these words from 1 Peter chapter 5. This is 1 Peter 5 verses 5 to 7. But consider what Peter says to us. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes us when we seek to receive glory from one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time... He may exalt you. Now the desire to receive glory from one another, that's we're wanting to exalt ourselves. Or we want others to exalt us. But what does Peter say? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. At the proper time, he will exalt you. And then notice what he says. This is all part of the same sentence. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Now, one of the reasons that Peter talks about anxiety in this sentence, in this one exhortation, is because a proud life and a life of vain glory, a life that seeks to receive glory from others, that is an anxious life. And if we're constantly seeking glory from other people, other people's approval, we want to please other people, well, that, that is full of anxiety because we nev- we're never too sure how people are going to respond. We never can pe- please people. The glory that we receive from one another is fickle. It's fading. So cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And remember what we prayed and what we heard as we prayed this evening from John 17. Jesus' prayer to his Father for us. He says, I don't, I don't only pray for those who are here, for my disciples, but all those who will believe in me through them. And that's us. And remember he prays that, and he, and he declares, he testifies, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Yes, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He loves us even as he loves the Son. And then Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Notice what Jesus declares here. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. Yes, seek the glory that comes from the only God. And he is gracious and generous in giving that glory. He, de- he delights in lifting us up. He delights in glorifying us. He will glorify us on the last day. He's invited us into his very own glory. The glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And so whatever it is we're doing, let's remember we seek to please the one who saved us. Paul uses this image in 2 Timothy. He says we are good soldiers, and our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. And he is pleased. And our hope is that on the last day, we will all stand before him. And I hope each one of us together here tonight stands before him. And we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And as we come to the Lord's table now, here in this meal, first of all, we have a confirmation of his love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And we also have in this meal a foretaste of that future glory. And Jesus' prayer is that, we, that uh, we would be with him and that we would see his glory. And we will see that glory on the last day. But even now, we're given a glimpse. And let's remember that the Apostle Paul says that every time we eat this meal, we declare the death of Christ until he comes again. And we eat this meal looking ahead to that future coming. And remember what we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, that when he comes, there will be a great wedding feast. And blessed are those who who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And every Sunday we come to this table, and it's an anticipation of that meal on the last day. 
And it's an anticipation of the love and the glory of that last day. But we come in humility. So let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God as we come to the Lord's table now.